Thank you for tuning in to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a church located in Lexington, Kentucky, with a heart for God and a vision for the gospel. I'm Derek Holmes, lead pastor, so grab your Bibles and let's hear from the Word. I hope that through this series it has helped to open your eyes to the Christmas story to help you see it in a different way, but I also hope that it helps to set the stage for a new year. Because what we've been talking about the past several weeks has not just been something that we only pay attention to in December. Now, let me just start by asking you, how many of you are kind of sad that Christmas is over with? How many of you kind of get a little depressed or a little bluesy after Christmas is finished? The presents are all unwrapped and all that type of stuff. You're kind of like you wake up the day after Christmas and you're kind of like, oh, man, it's over. Are you with me, some of you? All right, the rest of you are just a bunch of Scrooges and Grinches, right? But you know what I mean. You know these people, maybe they're in your neighborhood. They refuse to take down the decorations. Let me just get a poll. How many of you already have your decorations put up? All right, how many of you still have them up? You're still turning the lights on. Lights are going to stay up probably till Memorial Day, right? Um, You're still rocking that Christmas playlist in the car when you're going, and people are rolling their eyes at you like, man, this is is over with. We've We've had Christmas in our face since, like, Black Friday, right? Now, how many of you are the other way? You're like, I'm kind of glad it's over. I mean, I know I'm in church. I don't want to, you know, say that Christmas has tired me out because it's the birth of our Savior. But, you know, to be honest, Christmas being over kind of is nice for me, right? You're ready to get back to the normal schedule. Can I get a witness? You're ready for the kids to go back to school, right? You're ready, um, you know, you're ready to get on track and start losing all that holiday weight. Like if you see another, if you see another fruitcake, it'll be too soon, right? Christmas kind of wears you out a little bit. There's probably both of us, uh, there's probably both, uh, both types of people sitting here today. But let's be honest, December, Christmas time can get really hectic. And if we don't focus hard to keep our, uh, to keep our mind and keep our eyes and keep our spirits focused on Christ, it can wear you out, man. There's parties to go to. There's a lot of holidays in December that actually go unnoticed because of Christmas and New Year's. But there's some like B-level holidays that you probably didn't even know have come and gone and you never even bothered to celebrate them. So for instance, like December the 5th is National Ninja Day. Okay, you probably didn't see it coming because, you know, it's Ninja Day. If you saw it coming, it couldn't be Ninja Day, right? Some of you will get that a little bit later. Uh, December 16th is, and some of you might really like this, is is the officially chocolate-covered anything day. December 16th, you cover everything in chocolate. Guess what? It's already over. Got to wait a whole other year for that to come around. All right, and then December 18th is nationally recognized wear a toilet plunger on your head day. It is. It's an actual holiday. So for those of you who that is a secret desire you have to wear a plunger on your head, you can do that on December 18th and not feel weird about it. But traditionally, it is celebrated by wearing a new and clean plunger on your head. So make sure that you do that, okay? But no disrespect to any of these holidays. Um, December 23rd, if you're a Seinfeld fan, is the Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, If you watched Seinfeld when you were were younger. Um, No disrespect to any of these holidays, but, spe- but Christmas is special. Christmas trumps all of those holidays. Even beyond the traditions and the family time and the gifts, there is something special and there is something significant to the fact that, that God intersected with humanity. There is something that is special. Even for those who are not Christians, I found that it is strange, there's a strange appeal to Christmas time because Christmas is not just another holiday. We're not intended to celebrate just for a day and then get back to normal. It's an invitation to a whole new normal. You know, there are some moments in life where you realize some, you go through something. Maybe it's a tragedy or maybe it's an accolade or something. When you realize what just took place will, will change my life forever. Nothing will ever be normal again. I have to find a new normal. 
For some of you, it was the death of a loved one. You will never get back to normal, but you'll have to find a new normal. And when we come to Christ, when Jesus came to earth, nothing was ever going to be the same again. We all as humanity had to find a new normal, and it was a better normal, right? That salvation is available to us all. But in, in, in our text, we see that the wise men who showed up quite some time after Christ was born, probably about a year after Christ was born, teaches us something important. And I think it's there, and I think the wise men came later like that on purpose, that God intended for that to happen, to teach us that Christmas is not just a day. That the spirit of Christmas is not something that just goes on for December 25th or for the month of December. Christmas is something, the spirit of Christmas, is something that as believers we need to keep in our lives every single day. In Luke chapter 2, when the angels pronounce glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The original Greek, which the language that Luke chapter 2 was written in, was in an ongoing tense. Meaning that there is ongoing glory to God. There is ongoing peace, ongoing goodwill toward men. That it's not just something that's available the night that Jesus was born, but because Jesus was born, peace has been pronounced to humanity. Goodwill between God and man has been pronounced, and it continues to go. So because the spirit of Christmas is not supposed to die just because December 25th has come and, and is gone. Church history actually marks this as well. We don't talk about this day very much uh, unless you're in a very uh, liturgical and traditional Christian tradition. But there is a day called Epiphany that some people celebrate. And according to the, uh, to the Christmas season, it was marked to begin on December 25th and extend through the day of Epiphany, which is marked as January the 6th. Now, Epiphany is the recognition of the visit of the, visit of the Magi when the wise men came, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning in our text once more. When the Magi came, they came probably about a year later. And so 12 days after December 25th, on the Christian calendar, we see this day called Epiphany that marks the arrival of the Magi. 12 days marking the 12 months that passed between Jesus' birth and the arrival of the Magi. It's also, if you've ever wondered where that song on the 12, uh, the 12 days of Christmas ever come from, this is where it comes from. So we right now are smack dab in the middle of this, of this December 25th to January 6th, this Christmas tide season on the Christian calendar. And I think that's there to remind us that following Jesus is a daily thing. Following Jesus is an ongoing thing. The joy and the peace that he brings in our lives is not just a once in a lifetime, once in a moment type of thing. Following Jesus is an everyday, every moment of your life commitment. Um, I read, a, I read a, a, a tweet of one of the pastors that I follow on Twitter this week. He says, I prefer the way the church historically extended the Christmas season forward into January rather than the way the world extends the holiday shopping season backward into November. Now, I don't know about you, but Black Friday, uh, you know, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, all of those things, the office Christmas party, the secret Santas, the ugly Christmas sweater parties, all of those things leading up to Christmas, it just kind of wears you out and it just kind of distracts from what Christmas is really about. Another tweet said this, we as a society favor anticipation to contemplation. We want to quickly move to the next thing lest we sit too long and be affected too deeply by the story of Christmas and by Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of people are just like, man, I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired by all the things that went on at Christmas, and I'm just ready to get, back, get my life back to normal. But Christmas marks something that, meant, that never intended for us to get back to normal. 
The gospel of Christ coming in the form of Jesus as a baby changed the world forever. And if the church doesn't recognize that, who's going to? So the message this morning, the wise men in our text that we're going to read about were deeply affected by Christ. They were so deeply affected that they decided to pack up and travel for probably a year or more to get to where Jesus was at, to meet this baby, this born Messiah. Now, here's the thing. They weren't from a Christian nation. They weren't from a nation where everybody was looking for the Messiah to come. They were from a pagan nation. They had read some prophecies of the Messiah, but they recognized because they had been in the presence of earthly kings, and they realized that no matter how much power an empire may have, there is no power like the power that God possesses. And that there is no one, no matter how much power they have, there is no one who has the power to ensure us for eternity other than the Messiah. And so they realized that no matter how much power they had been aligned with, the power that was, being, that was being presented to the world through this baby, they wanted to be around that. They wanted to be around the Messiah. They wanted to come to the Messiah. They wanted salvation themselves. And so they packed up everything and they went. They were deeply affected by Christ for more than just a day. They didn't just say, oh, man, that's neat. The Messiah is going to be born. That's wonderful. Let's have a little party over here and then we'll go on. No, they followed him for the rest of their lives. So for some of you, who still have the lights on, and they're going to stay up for months and weeks, I want to give you the allowance to do that today. The message today is simply keep the lights on. What we learned from the Magi about continuing to follow Christ in the spirit of Christmas. And so in that spirit, we're going to read the same text that we looked at last Sunday, but I'm going to preach an entirely different message from it. So as you look at Matthew chapter 1, beginning, or Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. And it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east of Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said to him, He's been been born in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it's written by the prophet. And now Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again, so that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child and Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their country another way. Father, I pray this morning that you would be glorified by everything that is said and done. Father, I pray this morning that our worship has been um, a sweet fragrance, a sweet offering to you. (coughs) And I pray this morning in the message that you will speak to us. Holy Spirit, that it would be your word that goes forth, not my own. Lord God, you know how I've struggled this week physically, and um, I pray that you would hold my voice out as I, uh, as, we, as I preach this morning, and I pray that your message would go forth unhindered. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Keeping the lights on and what we learned from the Magi. We're going to look at a few lessons from the Magi on what it looks like to keep the Christmas spirit year-round, what it looks like to follow him like the Magi did. But before we look at these positive examples, I want to consider two negative examples that we also see in our text. And the first one is from the person of Herod. <clears throat> Herod teaches us this. 
that pride in our lives and insecurity in our hearts will often lead to opposition to Christ. Pride and insecurity will always lead to opposition to Christ. In verse number three that we just read in our text, it says, When Herod heard these things, when the Magi finally arrived and said, The king of the Jews, the king of the world has been born. Here, somewhere around here, we saw a star in the sky that pronounced his birth, and we've come to worship him. Herod, the Bible says, was troubled. You may have a translation that says he was deeply disturbed. Now, obviously, we have to understand why Herod would be deeply disturbed because Herod's the king. Herod is the man. Herod is the one that has the crown. Herod is the one that is in charge of everything. And if this new king of the Jews has been born, the one that's been prophesied, that means Herod's going to probably have to step aside. He's going to have to take a second man's seat. He's going to have to give up his crown. And Herod doesn't give up his crown to anyone. Last week, we looked at the fact that Herod was a violent man. He was nasty. He was insecure. His insecurity led him to killing his own family members, convincing them of conspiracy plots. He had become hungry with power. But the thing is, Herod had not always been that way. For the first, like, 24 years of Herod's reign, history tells us that Herod was a good king. He was given the title of Herod the Great among the people. He ended up enhancing the temple and bringing it into a pristine place where Solomon was not able to completely finish all of that. He restored the temple. He ended up uh, providing jobs. The economy was booming under Herod. Everything was going good. But then in about the last nine years of his reign, everything took a turn. Now, some scholars believe that maybe he began to go mad or something like that. But I believe it was this. Herod began to read his own press. Herod began to believe all the things people were saying about him. How wonderful, how great he was. And Herod bought this line that we all buy in our own hearts. I'm all I need. I am everybody's answer. I'm the best that there is. And when we do that, pride begins to stand in the way of our need for Jesus Christ. And in the way of our need for a Savior. Herod was basically saying, I'm all that this, this country needs. They don't need Jesus. I'm their Savior. I'm the one who's brought a time of peace. I'm the one who's brought a time of prosperity. There is no king like me. I'm going to remain the king. So what does Herod do? He basically tells the Magi, go and find this king, and when you found him, tell me so that I can come and worship him too. We know what Herod was going to do because we see his intent played out later on in the text when it says that once the wise men didn't come back, what did Herod do? He decreed that all of the baby boys under the age of two in Bethlehem be slaughtered. What what caused Herod the Great, a man who brought peace and, and prosperity to a people, at the end of his days to cause him to kill his own people, the innocent among them, all so he could retain his own power? You know what? Many of us, that's exactly what we do with Christ. Our sin, our pride, our insecurity will cause us to hold Christ at a distance will cause us to crucify Christ with our sin so that our flesh can abound. The message of Christ, get this, the message of Christ is life to the soul, but it is often an offense to the flesh. What that means is there's this dichotomy. There's this two-stranded person that lives inside of all of us. There's our spirit and our soul that hungers and thirsts after the truth of the gospel, that hungers and thirsts after the peace that Jesus will give us. But then there's the flesh that is completely opposed and completely offended by the truth of Jesus Christ. Because in order for us to follow Christ, we have to surrender control. We have to surrender the throne of our own lives and our own hearts. 
And that's what Herod struggled with. He couldn't let go of his pride and he couldn't let go of his insecurity and say, I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ, this baby. I'm going to give him lordship in my life. And I believe that Herod's example is placed here in Scripture by God to teach us that all of us have the spirit of Herod inside of us. We all have the potential to be Herod in one way or another. Because with my whole heart, I believe that Herod's violent reaction to this is what we oftentimes do as well. See, because it's the nature of the flesh, and it's the nature of Herod that says no to Jesus. It's the ignorance that pronounces, I don't need a Savior because I can handle everything on my own. It's the arrogance in us that says, I won't follow him as Lord because I'm the captain of my own soul. It's the insecurity within us that questions, what will I have to give up or change if I follow Christ? And it's the prideful rebellion in us that says Jesus has to be kept at a safe distance. I don't want to get too close to Jesus because he may ask of me more than I'm willing to give. And this is what a lot of us struggle with today. We struggle with that nature of heaven, no, uh, the nature of Herod. No, we may not be decreeing that babies need to die. But what we often do when we say no to Christ is we're basically saying, I don't need him in my life. We have that spirit of Herod. I think you would agree that there's a lot of the spirit of Herod in our society today. But tragically, we need to also own up to the fact that there's a lot of the spirit of Herod sitting in our churches today. Because a lot of us have the attitude, and there's, a lot of, there's too many people who want to follow Jesus on their own terms. They just want to have heaven, but they don't, want to, they don't want to surrender to him. Too many people want all the blessings of Christianity, but they want none of the allegiance that follows with following him. See, the spirit of Herod is offended by the presence of Jesus and the evidence of his working in the world. So we have to be wary and we have to know about this negative, this negative example of Herod that we need to be careful because when pride and insecurity begin to well up in our hearts, it will always lead to opposition to Christ. There's another a negative group of people, a negative example that we see in our text too, and that's the religious people. The scribes and the Pharisees. The Bible says in verse number four that after the wise men showed up, Herod calls all of the scribes and he calls all of the chief priests together and he says to them, where is this Christ that they're talking about? Where is he going to be born? How did you not know of this? And in verse number five, they basically say, well, in Bethlehem of Judea. They're like, we've known this. This is what we studied our whole lives. And they begin to quote the prophecy that came out of Micah. And he said, yes, out of Bethlehem, out of Judah, out of one of the least among you will come the governor that will rule everything and restore peace to the, to the world. Not just to the Jews, but to the world as well. <clears throat> what I find interesting in this is that they knew all about the Messiah. They knew where he would be when they were told where he was. Guess what they did? Absolutely nothing. You would expect that the text would say from there, the scribes and the chief priests packed up and they went with the wise men to go worship Jesus. But the Bible says they stayed right there in the palace with Herod. Why would they do that? Because they had become indifferent and they be had become apathetic through their own man-made practice of religion. When the Messiah was born the thing that they had lived their life studying about, the thing that they had lived their life trying to maintain in their life, holding out for the Messiah to show up. When the Messiah finally showed up, they chose to stick with the political power rather than run to the gospel power. They chose to stick with man's power and man's setup rather than run to God's power and God's setup. They turned to the king of kings. Now, I don't have to tell you, we're running into, a new, into an election year in 2020. 
And there's going to be a temptation for people to get so ramped up on politics and put so much stock in politics and legals and, and, and legals. I just made a word up and laws and all of those things and how things are going to go. I want to remind you, we cannot buy into what the chief priests and the scribes did. We must have our allegiance with heaven's power, not with the law's power, not with man's power. But this is what they did. They had studied and they had become so arrogant and they become so apathetic to the gospel and to the word of God that they didn't even recognize it when it came to them in human flesh. You may be saying here, I'm not Herod. I don't hate Jesus. I love Jesus. But Jesus demands that we not only follow him and love him, but that we love him more than anyone or anything else. You see, the beauty of Christmas and the beauty of the gospel is that we can have salvation for free that he paid the debt, but the challenge of the disciple is to follow him daily and to love him more than anything else. You see, growing cold and apathetic to the Lord is the byproduct of burning too hot for something of far lesser value. Growing cold to the Lord doesn't mean I just wake up one day and say, you know what, Jesus, you're not worth it. I'm against you now. Growing cold to the Lord comes from a series of events where we choose to burn too hot for something of far lesser significance. Pulls that we need to avoid. Pride and insecurity that Herod shows us, and then also apathetic and indifference to what God is doing. That the, relig- the Magi give us this example of a continuing worship of God, of a continuing relationship with him that continues to grow in its intensity and that continues to grow in its, uh, in its importance in their life. The first thing that we see, if we want to have this Christmas spirit, we want to keep the lights on all through the year, is that we need to keep seeking and following after God's direction. In verse number nine, it says, when they heard the king, <coughs> after, the said, uh, after the king said, go and look for him, the Bible says that when they departed, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it, co- until it came and stood over where the young child was. There's, an interest, there's, a, there's a very significant thing that we need to catch from this. The wise men had followed God all the way there, and they continued to follow God, and he led them to right where they needed to be. The challenge for us as the church is that if Jesus is enough to follow into eternal life, he is enough to follow through this life as well. He will lead us, and everything he is doing is an act of leading us towards him and towards his will. The star led them and reappeared right where Jesus was. They had left everything to follow after Jesus. And Jesus aligned the stars to lead them to where they needed to be. Now, what do we get from this? This is why I love Christmas time. Because it's around Christmas and Easter that the church becomes a whole lot more vocal about their Savior. For some reason, there's a, there's a way that we, we kind of just like puff out our chests a little bit with pride. Because the rest of the world is like kind of paying attention to the message of Christmas too. And you may say, well, I don't see much example of that. But there are several people still who will not come to church any other time except for at Christmas or at Easter because they realize that these are times when the world turns their attention to God. But then what happens is we often, and I think the reason for that is, is because the church often turns their attention away and gets back to life as normal too. We have to understand that God is always all about the gospel. He doesn't operate by our calendar. He has one focus and one goal right now, during the church age, and that is to see as many people come to Christ as possible before the return of Jesus Christ. And that should be our goal as a church as well. We have to understand that our God is always all about the gospel. He is always continually, tenderly calling us to come to him. 
He's pronouncing, come unto me, all you that are weak and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and in that you will find rest unto your souls. This is the cry of the Savior, and this is the cry of the gospel. Come to Jesus. And that cry doesn't just go out on Christmas and on Easter. That cry is a daily 24-7 call. And the way that call is pronounced is by God's people daily pronouncing that call to the lost. The question is, will we continue to do that with as much passion as we normally do at Christmas and at Easter? And we hear that phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. Speaking of Christmas, but the truth is, Jesus is the reason we're here any day of the year. Jesus is the reason that we have to celebrate any day and every day of the year, too. So what about you? Are you committed to a continual following of God's direction like the wise men? They left everything they knew, all the stability that they had back there in the east, and they came and they followed a star to a country that would not accept them because they were outsiders so that they could come to the feet of Jesus. What about you? What sacrifices are being made? What are you willing to lay aside and say, you know what, there is nothing on earth that could be worth more than me being as close to Jesus as I possibly can. There's nothing that will stand in the way of me following closely after Christ. In a new year, this might be a good challenge for you to take. Will you be committed to follow Jesus more closely and more passionately than you ever have before? What did it take from the Magi? It took them just to get up and go. For you, it may be a call to get up and to go do something, to serve him like you've never done before. For you, it may be a call to pick up his word for the first time and begin to read it. For you, it may be a call to, for the very first time in your life, place your faith and trust in Jesus and say, I will trust him. I may not know everything, but I will by faith trust him and I will follow him as my savior. We have five folks that, are, that have just recently done that, placed their faith and trust in Christ, have done that in their life. And today they're going to publicly kind of make that decision known to the rest of the world today. They're making that commitment at the dawn of a new year. I'm going to follow in faith and I'm going to follow and surrender to Jesus Christ. For you, I don't know what it looks like. Maybe it's to, you've been visiting and you've been kind of, you know, been coming and, and been a part of things. Maybe it's, hey, I need to join this church and become, place my membership in this church. Or it may be that I need to personally spend more time with God or I need to share the gospel more. Whatever it may be, make 2020 a year that you say, hey, I'm going to walk closely with him and I'm going to stay committed to him and not have this up and down kind of life with him. The next thing that we do that we learn from the Magi is that we need to keep finding joy in the presence of Jesus. (coughs) Not only do we follow his direction, but we keep finding joy in his presence. In verse number 10, it says, when they saw the star, what did they do? They rejoiced, but Matthew goes on, and he doesn't just say they rejoiced. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. There are four successive mentions of the joy of the Magi right there. They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. This is a literary technique that shows that they were overwhelmed with the joy that they had in their heart when they saw the star reappear over where Jesus was at because what they had come for was finally coming to fruition. The desire that they had mentioned that had brought them as far as they had come was finally coming to, to fruition, and they were finally about to see the king that they had traveled so far to see. In verse number two, we saw the fact that they wanted to come and see the king. Now they're going to be able to see it. And what we learn from this is that joy, you want true joy in your life, not just happiness that lasts for a day, 
Because as a kid, I remember this, man. I got all kinds of toys that brought me momentary joy. But I can't tell you a thing I got for Christmas when I was young. I can tell you like one or two things. But they didn't even last the whole year, right? Some of you, your kids have already broken the thing that you spent so much money to get for them. How many of you stayed up all night to put together some stinking Barbie dream house or some weird thing, and the first time they sat down to play with it, they snapped the elevator off? Just me? Okay, just wondering. You know, because things don't last forever. But what the Magi had come to was a king that would give them eternal hope and eternal salvation. Because there is joy, not just happiness in the presence of Jesus, there is continuing, ongoing joy in the presence of Jesus. And some of you this morning, you are struggling. You're struggling to find anything good about your life. I'm a melancholic, anything that you can smile about. You're struggling to find anything that you can find peace in. All you can find, and trust me, I'm a melancholic personality. This is one of the biggest struggles of my life and faith, is to keep that joy in my life. But I'll tell you where you find it. You find it at the feet of Jesus. You don't find it in the circumstances that are going on around you. You find it at the feet of Jesus. If they wanted to be happy, the Magi, they would probably have been happier staying back in the court of the king where they had money flowing in, they had power, they had prestige, they had food, they had everything that they needed. But what did they do? They left all of that to go to a nation where they would be considered to be outcasts and outsiders so that they could find true joy in Jesus Christ. Joy comes from the presence of Jesus. Just like that old Christmas hymn that says, Rejoice, rejoice, for Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Emmanuel means God with us. The writer of that hymn and the, that comes straight out of the Bible, the writer of the Bible is saying that joy comes when God is with us. When God is with you, there is a joy, there is a peace that passes all understanding. And Christmas Day is not the only day that Jesus is with us, folks. Jesus came on Christmas Day so that he could dwell within us for all of eternity through his Holy Spirit. See, joy comes also from God and the forgiveness that you find in Christ. Being set free, being washed clean, knowing that before God, I stand justified because of Jesus Christ. There is a peace that comes from that, knowing that no matter what may happen in this life, God is not against me. He is for me. And that he is always for me. See, everything you and I need to have perfect peace and perfect joy is bound up in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. It's not bound up in you and your ability. It's not bound up in you and your intellect. It's not bound up in you and how nice of a person you are. Everything you need for peace and joy in this life is bound up in the person and in the work of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Messiah that was sent from heaven to earth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's where our joy comes from. And that's what the Magi realized. They realized that we will not find joy. We, there is something in my heart that will not be satisfied until I'm in the presence of Jesus. And some of you might be sitting here today or listening or watching on Facebook right now, and you're wondering why there seems to be this just vacuum in your spirit. Because if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, that vacuum will continue to exist. And you may throw anything and everything you want to find from this world into that vacuum, but it's going to suck it up and it's going to spit it back out. And you're going to be just as lonely and just as broken as before, if not more. But when you come to Jesus Christ, he fills that void. And he gives you peace and he gives you joy and he gives you hope and he gives you purpose. That's what the Magi came so far for. So the question is, is my joy in Jesus? Let that be a prayer for you in 2020, that I'll have 
joy in Christ every day. The other thing we learn is that we need to keep worshiping with all that we have. And we had an awesome worship night in here last Sunday night, and it was, it was great. Just spirit was wonderful, and we were getting ready to head into Christmas. It was just sweet. But we need to have that spirit every single day of our lives, every moment of our lives. It doesn't pass just because Christmas is over with. In verse number 11, it says, When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshiped him. And when they opened their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These wise men finally got to carry out what they had traveled so far for. They wanted to see Jesus. The Bible says in verse number two, when they came to Herod, they said, we've seen his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Now imagine how powerful of a statement that was standing in the court of King Herod. We didn't come for you, bro. (laughs) We came for a baby. If you could just point us in the right direction and tell us where he is, we'll get out of your hair. Oh, these gifts back here, they ain't for you. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, no, those aren't for you. Those are for the baby. Now we know why Herod was so ticked off, right? But imagine that. They were laying their lives on the line just to do that, right? Keep worshiping with all that you have. And how did they worship? They worshiped by going. They left where they were, and they followed after Christ, and they worshiped by giving. The Bible says that they gave three gifts, and we know the gifts, right? Say them with me. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? What the kids normally say is gold, frankenstein, and myrrh, right? They get that kind of confused. The gifts had significance. And this is really kind of a message in and of itself, but just real quickly, they gave gold, and that was significant because that was significant because gold was a gift for kings. Gold was what was given when they when when Magi or when people would visit and come into the courts of kings. And so for them not to give gold to Herod was a slap in Herod's face, for one thing. But that gold went to baby Jesus because they recognized that he would be the king, like the prophecy said, he would be the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. And so they gave him gold because they recognized him as king. They gave him frankincense, which was an incense that was often used in worship rituals. Frankincense was was burned in the temple. The priests were the only ones who were able to burn that frankincense before the altar of God. And so what they had recognized in Jesus there was not only that he was the deity, that he was God uh, to receive that incense, that incense offering, but that he is also, as the prophecy had said, he is the great high priest that is worthy of owning and possessing and touching that frankincense. And then we see the myrrh. Myrrh was an oil, an anointing oil that was used when kings were anointed and were, when prophets were anointed, but it was also an embalming, uh, an embalming thing that was used when people would die as well. And so what the, what the uh, wise men had recognized in this was that Jesus would one day die for our sins. He would be the sacrifice for our sins, but also that he is the prophet that anoints us all to salvation as children of the king. And the Bible says that Jesus is not just king, he is not just Lord, he is not just priest, but he is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. So the Magi bringing these gifts meant that they were all in and they fully recognized Jesus as their only hope, their only object of worship in the world. These men who had bowed before kings, who had been in courts, who had advised kings, realized that all of them paled in comparison to this little kid over in Bethlehem. And that's what we have to understand as a church. That's what worship really is, because worship is more than just a song, folks. When we hear worship in church life now, we think, oh, that's talking about the music service. I hope they sing what I like today. (coughs) I hope they play on key today. I hope I can follow along today. I hope the worship service is good. 
Worship is more than a song and worship is more than a service. Worship is the very act and the essence of our lives. Every moment of our life is an act of worship to him. The fact that we're willing to go and obey him is an act of worship to him. It's the function of our lives and it's the existence of our, or it's the essence of our Christian existence. So our lives display worship and how we live honestly demonstrates how we see Christ. And I think this, I think the reason that a lot of people have a low opinion of Christ today in our world is because the church, by the way we live, have reflected a low opinion of our Savior as well before them. <clears throat> Whether it's because we've been too prideful to follow him, too apathetic, too worried about other things, we've minimized Christ in our world, in our society. The world hasn't done that because that's what the world will do. That's what the lost will do. When Christ gets minimized, it's on us, not on those who never knew him to begin with. And so what we have to understand, we have to ask ourselves, is he my king? Because if he's my king, I'm going to operate by kingdom standards. I'm going to realize that heaven's laws and heaven's ways are most important. If he's my God, I'm going to live my life by praying that my life is a sweet fragrance to his throne room, that everything I say and do, <coughs> everything I do, rises before him as a sweet fragrance to him. And if he's my savior, then I'm going to spend my life lavishing never-ending praise and gratitude on him for his gracious sacrifice to, to save me. See, the problem that we run into sometimes is that some of us, we've been saved so long, we've just gotten used to it. And we've forgotten the pit that we've been drug out of. Sometimes some of us need to go back sometimes to the cross and review just the miracle that took place when Jesus became our savior. To go back and count our blessings and to remember what took place at the cross. Is Jesus truly the king of my life? And if he is, he's going to have my all. So Christmas may be over, but the continuous spirit of Christmas is to keep worshiping him with everything that we have. And then lastly and very quickly as we close out, is that we need to keep a spirit of surrender to Christ. The Magi not only showed us worship, but they showed us that worship is based out of surrender that we have for him. <clears throat> in verse number 11, it says, they fell down and they worshiped Jesus. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed in their own country another way. When it says that they fell down and they worshiped him, that word worship there in the Greek is a word called proskuneo. It's where we get our word for prostrate, meaning to be face down, knees bent in humility. It's to lower myself. It's kind of the idea of when somebody would come before royalty, they would bow in their presence. And what the Bible is telling us through this, through this proskuneo uh, type of worship that the Magi did, when they came before Jesus, they lowered themselves, not just down to their knees. They didn't just curtsy or bow their head. They put themselves laid out completely face down on the ground in humility to Jesus Christ. All out complete humility and worship. Understand that these were titled nobility. They were advisors to kings. They sat in presence with kings. Kings would come to them for advice. <clears throat> and what did they do? They came to a toddler who had not been given a crown, who had not been recognized, and they bowed themselves in humility before him. What does this teach us about how we should follow Christ? Man, Christmas is a wonderful day. 
I hope you had an awesome time. I hope you spent time reflecting on the goodness of your Savior and on the majesty of the moment and on how wonderful it was when the, when the angels came and heralded that the Savior had been born. But I want to challenge you to take that same humility, to take that same awe and wonder of your Savior into a new year, into every day of your life, and let that be the greatest pursuit of your life, to worship and surrender to Jesus as Lord. They didn't just come to worship him as Savior. They came to surrender to him as Lord in their lives. And throughout Matthew chapter 2, we see people faced with decisions to surrender him. All the way through it. We looked at it all the way through this series. Mary, she had to surrender by carrying Jesus despite the shame and the false judgment that she would receive for carrying him. Joseph surrendered by staying with Mary and giving up his reputation, giving up his business, giving up his home, giving up his dreams to father a child that wasn't even his. Herod was asked to surrender to Christ, but he wouldn't do it. The wise men were asked to leave their home and defy Herod in order to obey God, and they surrendered. You see, when Herod said, come back, the Bible tells us in verse 12 that God warns them in a dream, don't go back to Herod because he has ill intent. And so they defied the king's orders, and they left another way. More than likely, when they were leaving, they didn't just scooch off and nobody cared. Herod probably had people out looking for them, and so they left and went back home looking over their shoulder for the rest of their lives because what they had done by defying the king was to commit a crime punishable by death. So the wise men came and they left, and they understood that the rest of their lives would be spent in deference to Jesus, not to anyone else. To follow Jesus requires surrender. See, we're faced with a surrender decision as well. Because following Jesus never rests on a mediocre response. You can't just say, hey, yeah, uh, yeah, heaven, I'll take that. Let me have some of that. It's not like a buffet that we take on in our lives. Hey, now, a nice portfolio? Yeah, I'll take that. Uh, a nice job? Yeah, I'll take that. A hot wife? Yeah, I'll take that. A stud husband? Yeah, I'll take that. Oh, Jesus, salvation, going to heaven? Yeah, I'll take that, and that'll make me a good life. Salvation is not just a piece of a good life. Salvation is life. And nothing else makes sense outside of it. You see, we're faced with a surrender decision too. Will we follow him? You see, I love what John Stott says. He says, no one ever, whoever met Jesus Christ has ever responded moderately to him. The only three things that you see people doing when they meet the real Jesus is to either run away from him in terror, to assault him with fury, or to prostrate themselves in utter surrender. The question is, as we close out this morning, which one will you be? Will you run away from him in terror? Will you lash out at him in fury? Or will you surrender yourself to him? See, to be saved by Jesus means to, at the same time, become a disciple of Jesus. To be adopted into royalty, but also to be purchased into servitude. See, when we are saved, we become servants of him, disciples of him, followers of him. I let go of my identity and I identify with Christ.